TCU loses to West Virginia, which means we have to recognize them as a real state for the next year. What went right? What went wrong? And what can we take away from TCU's second loss of the season? We cover all of that right now here on Frogs Insider. We're going to cue the intro music, but be less enthusiastic about it. Welcome in to Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here with Melissa Trebowasser, as always, breaking down TCU's 24 to 21 loss to the West Virginia Mountaineers. Thank you for being here and listening. We are part of the Republic of Football Network with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. You can find us wherever you find your podcasts, etc., 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 ratings and reviews, etc., etc. Melissa. We got to jump right into this because this was the second loss for TCU this year. And it's the second time TCU has lost as a double digit favorite at home. You watched this game live. I was at a wedding in Omaha this weekend. I've caught up on it for the most part. What was your initial reaction? Because it seemed like this was a completely different game in the first half from the second half. I don't even know that it was as much a completely different game as I was just, it, it looked like, T, well, I'll put it this way. TCU came out on that first drive, went through the West Virginia defense, like a hot knife through butter. JPR scores like a 59 yard touchdown. Um, they, they score. It took them all of 51 seconds to go 70 yards. Hmm. And you're thinking, okay, West Virginia's defense is good, but TCU clearly saw something on film and they were ready for this and it's going to be fine. It's going to be a good night. Um, after that, things went downhill really, really quickly. Um, they scored, uh, on, on two more touchdowns in the first half to get to 21 points and then punted for five consecutive times in the second half and missed two field goals, had two field goals blocked down the stretch. So you could say, you could argue that it was two totally different games, um, because TC was able to, you know, move the ball in the first 30 minutes and not in the second 30 minutes. Um, but I think that what you looked at, even when they scored in the first half, things got markedly harder. It seemed like every single drive down the field after that first one. And we, I watched as West Virginia made adjustments on both sides of the football and TCU never really counterpunched throughout that game. So even though they were able to get the ball in the end zone a couple more times, you could kind of see a slow unraveling going on you know, after that first easy touchdown. And then obviously by the second half, um, it was bad, Jamie. I'm going to say, I'm going to say you are fortunate to be at a wedding. It was a bad time. Look, I had enough makers mark to not feel feelings by the end of the evening on Saturday, uh, probably for the best based on what the uh, group text was feeling and what I was seeing on Twitter. Um, TCU fans seemed like they were pretty down bad. On Saturday yeah. evening, yeah, and it's and uh, I just like I saw saw that the stadium wasn't full for a blackout, and just like the energy was low, and and in a lot of ways, it it reminded me of the loss to Colorado in Week One, where it's just you came out flat and you couldn't ever fully execute like you needed to, and and you end up losing because of it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's it's similar, and that these are both teams where you look at on paper and say TCU is a better team TCU is at home there's all of this hype around both of these games and it was just 
dead in there. Hmm. I mean, there was no energy coming off, at least coming off the screen. I wasn't in the stadium. Um, you know, I talked to a couple of friends that were there and it seemed like there was a lot of chippiness in the stands. There was a ton of chippiness on the field. Um, unfortunately for West Virginia, two guys get carted off. Um, it looks like, like one guy, you know, suffers a, a broken leg that was pretty, pretty bad. Um, but the other guy, uh, I think Burks is his last mm-hmm. name, um, it was released from the hospital. It looks like he's going to be okay, but it was the, the tempo of the game was weird. The feeling of the stadium was weird. Um, it was one of those games where it, it definitely did not live up to the billing that, that TCU tried to create with that blackout environment and the play on the field, even though it was a one score game pretty much the entirety of the night, it never felt like there was any type of buzz. There was never really any excitement. Um, and TCU never really got locked into what was happening on the field or in the stands. Before we get too far into it, big thanks to our podcast sponsors, Hell's Half Acre, Stadium Goods, and Home Field Apparel. Um, we'll talk more about them later in the show. Just wanted to get that in there. Uh, but when, when you're talking about a team, Melissa, that for the last four weeks, all of the conversation that we've had has been around marginal improvement week to week on both sides of the football. Still some some mistakes, still some inefficiencies that this team needs to work through. Looking at Saturday night's game, and not just because it's a loss, but it really did feel like TCU took a couple of steps back especially on the offensive side of the ball from offensive line play to Chandler's accuracy and decision-making to wide receivers, not being where they needed to be, not being able to get the running game going. Uh, It just felt like there were, there were a, a host of issues and all of that, at least from an execution standpoint, we'll start with execution. It just all kind of built up and built up and built up until the offense ground completely to a halt. Yeah, I mean, it felt like in the first half, TC was still going to scrape by a, a way to find a way to win this game. Um, and you were going to say, man, they got away with one there. You're going to, I mean, you got to remember TCU barely beat West Virginia last year, you know, in Morgantown. Mm-hmm. That was a close game. And so this has been kind of a, a bugaboo for the Horned Frogs since joining the Big 12. Um, it's been, a, it's kind of quietly been a pretty good little rivalry. And so it wasn't surprising that the Mountaineers um, were hanging around in that first half. And Garrett Green, um, give Garrett Green a ton of credit came back off of injury, ran all over the TC defense in the first half, had had the big touchdown run to tie the score at seven. And um, despite the fact that he was, you know, he was playing kind of on one and a half legs, uh, was excellent, was absolutely exceptional um, throughout the game and and made big plays with his feet in the first half, made big plays with his arm in the second half. But yeah, I mean, it, you, you kind of felt initially like, TC is going to have to learn from this. This is going to be an ugly win, but they're going to find a way at home to pull this out. And then pretty early in the third quarter, you went, oh, they're never going to really threaten again uh, because West Virginia had so even though West Virginia literally, it seemed like had a defensive lineman going off the field every single play for a period of time in the fourth quarter. Um, they just kept kind of finding that energy, finding that extra reserve in the tank and they wanted it more. They played harder. This team, um, you know, after, like you said, that just incremental improvement took a giant step backwards, not just in execution and play on the field, but just in the the overall kind of energy and leadership coming out of the locker room and on the sidelines. Like this was a, a group that said it perfectly, came out just as flat. Um, and I think we can say unprepared against West Virginia as they did against Colorado. And you start to to worry that, you know, once is an aberration and you can write off that that opening game because of how how hard it must have been to prepare for that Colorado team. But this is a West Virginia team 
that's been coached by the same guy for five seasons. That's been around this league. They're not trying to trick you with anything. They, they didn't do anything that was surprising on either side of the football. And TCU had absolutely no answer uh, in the trenches. They had no answer for Garrett green as a running quarterback. I, you could, you could give them some grace and that they didn't know that he was going to be the guy until he was out there, but you still knew what you were preparing for. And Sonny Dyke said it after the game, the coaching staff needs to do a better job of preparing these players. I mean, that was his words and that absolutely bore out, you know, on Saturday night. And, uh, you know, I think to just, I think it's, it, it has to be said that when you gain one yard of offense in a quarter, <laughs> like TCU did in the third quarter, that isn't exclusively an execution issue. You, yeah. you named it. You said there was, there's a preparation issue there. And there's an adjustment issue at halftime there as well to not come out and either reinforce the positive things that happened in the first half or, hey, here's kind of the counterpunch we're anticipating and here's how we're going to respond to that if that happens, right? Yeah, I, I, There have been a couple times this season now where we haven't seen TCU make the, the halftime adjustments that we maybe expected them to make. And Sonny Dykes was pretty clear about it in post game that that was some of the worst offense he's ever seen uh, since he's been coaching. Um, yeah. He said that it was a coaching issue. He said that it was a preparation issue. He said they have to do better in both of those areas. And so you're, you've heard now uh, a couple times this year, Sonny Dykes really kind of pointedly call out his coordinators, both, both Joe Gillespie and Kendall Browse now have been called out in the media room by Sonny Dykes about not having their team or their side of the ball prepared enough to win a football game. Um, but I will say this, Melissa, because the, the offense was facing the best defense they've faced to this point. Like that wasn't even really a question. West Virginia is the best defense TCU's seen at this point of the season. Um, and so it, it was almost reasonable to expect that the production would be down, but not to this level. And I think in this loss, we saw a lot of the same inefficiencies that we've seen from TCU's offense throughout the season. They've just been able to mask it with a bunch of yards and a bunch of points at certain times, right? They, they scored 45, 42 points against Colorado and lost. And the conversation around that game was, oh, well, 42 points should win you football games. And, and that's not necessarily wrong. They scored 41 against Nichols. They scored 36 against Houston in a blowout. 34, they doubled up SMU. Um, but all four of those games, there was a, a glaring inefficiency that was happening with this offense. And it was one of those situations where it was so obvious that the advanced stats actually matched what your eyes were telling you <laughs> about the football game, right? Uh, we see our friend Parker Fleming all the time getting just spit roasted by fan bases who don't understand that sometimes analytics tell you a deeper part of the story that maybe your eyes didn't tell you. Uh, that has not been the case with TCU's offense. And when you look at Parker's stat, Echel rate, which determines percentage of quality drives for an offense – by how many, how frequently are you getting inside your opponent's 30? And then you take that a step further and you say, okay, well, how many points are coming off of those quality drives, right? TCU was eighth going into the West Virginia game in Echo rate. They were putting together quality drives 63.3% of the time, but they were 69th, nice, nice, in points off of those quality drives. And I think we talked about this in the in the West Virginia or in the post game a little bit. Uh, last week that's 
that's a massive discrepancy. Yeah. Like you're, you're getting where you need to be to have an opportunity to score a significant portion of the time at a top 10 rate in the country, but you're barely top 70 and actually converting those opportunities into points. And that's been a challenge, not just against West Virginia, but every step of the way this season. And they have to find a way, whether it's play calling, whether it's execution, whether it's preparation, whatever it is, not going for it on fourth down so much, maybe. They've got to find a way to become more efficient when they get into scoring territory, or we're going to continue to see as the defenses ramp up in the back half of the schedule, TCU really, really struggle on offense. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's kind of the key point here is that it's really great and nice and lovely to rack up these big, big numbers against some of the worst defenses in the country. I don't know where Houston is ranked among power five defenses, but I got to guess it's somewhere near the bottom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously SMU historically one of just a terrible, laughably bad defense. Uh, You can't really count Nichols. And then Colorado's defense has been pretty well exposed here since that opening game as well. It's it's great to put up big numbers and have these big explosive plays, but it is very disconcerting and concerning when you play defense with a pulse for the first time this season and you are held to one yard and have two blocked field goals. And we'll get to special teams in a little bit um, and don't really do anything. And and for 30 minutes against the defense, it's not even an elite defense. It's a very good defense. It's far and away the best defense CCU has played, but this is not the best defense CCU is probably going to play this season. Even Uh, No, there are three or four defenses left on the schedule that are better than this one. So it's, it's really concerning. And it, it, like you said, it goes to a a myriad of things and, you know, I'd be remiss not to mention that the offensive line was dealing with some injuries, but again, that goes back to TCU knew it had a, had a problem with death in the offensive line a year ago. Um, they knew they had a problem with depth and talent going into the offensive line this year. You have to be able to survive an injury at the position group where more guys get injured than just about any other. You have to plan for that, especially in the era of the portal. And so this offensive line, I mean, I I think it's fair to say, frankly, kind of fell apart Mm. on Saturday night against West Virginia. And again, a good pass rush, but a pass rush that was being generated by second and third team guys on the depth chart because of the amount of guys that were going off the field for the Mountaineers. They were a skeleton crew by the end of that fourth quarter, and yet they still were able to get multiple stops on fourth and one. And and I know this does not all fall on play calling. I don't want to say it's all fall on play calling, but my God, the lack of creativity on third and short and fourth and short, the, the hurried fourth and one, I think was in, I can't remember if that was in the first half or early in the second half. First but half, yeah. Yeah, that where the, where you're hurrying to the line on a, at a moment when you don't need to, you know, the the indecision between going for it on fourth down and kicking a field goal where you get that that ball gets kicked basically into the back of your offensive line. I mean, there were a lot of execution issues amongst this coaching staff that you know Sonny said it, it it falls on the coaching, but at the end of the day, and and I guess we also need to mention at this point that Sonny obviously was dealing with some family tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sure was distracted by that. And I'm never going to fault somebody for being being distracted by a loss in that moment. Um, but this isn't the first time that these types of things have happened. And it does show a pattern that that is concerning going forward. Um, Sonny is is one of the ultimate CEO coaches. And he's made his decisions on guys that he's going to put in those those positions. And, you know, it's uh, it's going to fall on him if they can't get some of these things cleaned up over the course of the rest of the season and uh, losing a game like that at home to look a surprisingly decent West Virginia team 
but still you cannot be losing to West Virginia at home and think that you're going to make any real hay in the big 12 this year. When you look at the rest of the schedule and who TC still has to face and that Baylor win that looked like a gimme a couple of weeks ago, man, they got Blake shaping back and all of a sudden they look like they got something going a little bit on offense. They turned it on in the second half. We'll get into, into some big 12 scores uh, from around the conference in a little bit. And that was definitely one of the more surprising ones on the weekend, but I think you're, I think you're right. You're onto something here, Melissa. And, and I want to, uh, piggyback on what you said about coach Dykes and the loss that he experienced very late in the week. He lost yeah. his brother-in-law. He left practice on Friday to go out to Lubbock to be with his sister. I think he went right back to Lubbock on Sunday. Um, he was obviously dealing with a tremendous yeah. amount of, of sudden unexpected loss and grief. And that's never just anything that is going to be easily dealt with, yeah. especially when you have as high pressure of a job as a head coach at a division one school does, right? Perspective wise, obviously sure. football is just football at the end of the day. Absolutely. Um, he's getting paid a ton of money for a very high pressure situation. And that is that all of it together is, is it sucks. It really yeah. sucks. And, yeah. you know, I, I, I know our hearts go out to him and his family and, and, and we hope that everything as the grief process progresses, um, that they, that they're going to be okay. Um, and like you mentioned, a lot of these issues have persisted throughout the, the first five weeks of the season. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I noticed about this game, and again, I was at a wedding, I rewatched it. Uh, so, so I have watched, the bulk of the football game, I fast forwarded through a little bit of that third quarter because I kind of knew what was coming. But TCU, I talked about Echo rate earlier. TCU had only two drives on the night that reached inside the West Virginia 30-yard line. And they came away with no points on either of those drives. All three of their touchdowns in the first half were on explosive plays from outside the 30. Uh, the longest touchdown play of the year, the pass to J.P. Richardson, which was nice. J.P. caught the ball. Broke a tackle, like you said, uh, a good a good pass to Dalen Wright, and he made some magic happen near the end of the half to get into the end zone. A really good run by Chandler as well, although explosive plays all uh, outside this thirty yard line. So even when you're looking at how TCU scored in this game, they actually went backwards when it comes to quality drives because they could not consistently move the ball down the field and have success on first down and second down in order to set themselves up on third down. At one point in this game, Melissa, they were five of six on third down. They finished the game six for 16 on third Ugh. down. And so there was something that was working, whether it was Chandler running the ball, getting the ball out of his hands quickly. There were things that were working in the first half that when, like you said, West Virginia counterpunched in the second half, TCU had no answer for it. Part of it was a little bit of a delayed blitz where I'm not sure if they were if they, if they were just spying Chandler in the second half and then the, the free linebacker was blitzing him late. Um, but TCU made no adjustment on that fourth or fifth rusher for the majority of the second half. Uh, and, and that was really disappointing to see. Um, and it led them, all of these inefficiencies led them to asking Griffin Kell to kick three yeah. field goals from 46 yards or back. I think two were over 50 yards and he missed one and had two blocked. And so now you're looking on paper and you say, well, Griffin Kell's only seven for 13 from field goal on field goals this year. But I, I wrote about it today for, for Horn Frog Blitz. He's already attempted more 50 yard or longer field goals in the first five games this year, six. 
than he had in his first four seasons at TCU. He's already he's he's attempted six fifty yard or more field yeah. goals this year already, and that's that is not a sign his game. that well, it's not his game. It's also ridiculous to ask a yeah. college kicker to do that consistently, and it's another signal of how inconsistent and inefficient this offense has been that they've stalled out enough to be asking their kicker to consistently go out there and try to make 50 yarders. Don't, don't ask Griffin Kell to kick six 50 yard field goals. Don't expect Jordy Sandy to give you a big leg when he's punting from inside uh, the TCU 30. Like that's just not who these guys are. Like they have specific skill sets. You know, Griffin Kell has a big leg. We've seen that, but it's, it's accuracy and it's preparation are his skill sets. You know, Jordy Sandy is as good as anybody is pinning people deep, but when you need a 45 to 50 yard punt, he's going to give you 37. I mean, that's, that's been the story now for, for five years. And like you said, we we've been harping on, especially in the red zone, but I think the echo rate, the 30 yard line gives you a bigger picture of this, but the TCU, when they need three yards to convert on a third or make fourth and manageable or get into that scoring territory, they have consistently this season struggled to get those plays. And part of that, that, you know, that we didn't see a year ago is because of just how good Kendra Miller was, how good Max Duggan was, how reliable Quentin Johnston was. And, and that receiver has not shown up for TCU. And frankly, how I think the importance of how good that line play was a season ago, because it was bad on Saturday night. Um, you know, when you look, there were 14 pressures on Chandler Morris and now he's got to eat about, about a third of those probably because he was holding, holding the ball on the forever. Ball, yeah. He got really spooked in the second half. Um, I think that was evident. I can't say I blame him, but he was seeing ghosts and he was holding that ball forever. And again, part of that is when you don't have that alpha receiver, when you don't have that go-to guy, he needs to know who he can go find when he's really struggling to get the ball out. And, and that guy does not exist. Um, he was sacked five times. You know, he was hit three other times. Uh, they they did a good job. I think you're right. I think they were kind of spying with that delayed blitz in the second half because he was not able to pick up a whole lot of yardage with his legs. But he wasn't even really moving in the pocket. Uh, he, he was stone, you know, just like stone set in that back um, for three, four or five seconds at a time, it felt like. And again, had the time some of the time but just could not get through his progressions, could not do the things we've seen him do really well the last three weeks and, and reverted mm. back to what we saw in game one. You know, we, we, we kind of expect, I think at this point for the safety valve, if there is one at wide receiver to be Jared Wiley, he finished mm. with one catch for nine oh. yards. It came on the first possession of the game of, of the game for TCU. He was, tar- he was only targeted four more times after that. Yeah. Right. And so uh, like there was, there was no intentionality with trying to get certain playmakers the ball. Now, I will say Dalen Wright had seven targets. That was nice to see. He he has the potential to be a really good playmaker on the outside for this team, but we're five weeks into the season. We're almost halfway through the year. And like you said, Melissa, we still don't know who the playmakers are for this offense catching the ball. And that's a significant issue, and it's one that we've been talking about since fall camp about needing someone to – rise to the top, needing someone to establish themselves as the alpha. And it just has not happened yet. And, and, it, and it, it's, I don't know it's who wild. it should be. No one, no one's given you enough consistent performance to be able to determine, oh, that's the dude, like in a clutch moment. There are three or four guys where you say, it could be the dude, Jared Wiley, JP Richardson, JPR. maybe Dalen Wright, Jalen Robinson, but he was hurt. He didn't play on Saturday, right? So there are a couple guys who, oh yeah, no, like, 
Chandler's gone to them in, in third downs. He's gone to them in long second down situations and, and they've converted, but it, it's just, it's it, the inconsistency at wide receiver is causing a lot of chaos. I think for Chandler as well, because he doesn't know who he can fully depend on yet. Um, yeah. And I gotta say a lot of the third and fourth down issues are because of what's happening on first and second down mm-hmm. the penalties, pre-snap penalties, getting yourself in first and 15, getting yourself in second and long. All of that leads into the amount of third downs that TCU has had this year. They've had 74 third downs situations through the first five games of the year, which is, I think, top 25 in the in the country most. And they're averaging six six and a half yards to gain on those third downs. So it, it, it's it's not even third and manageable most of the time. 36 of their third down tries this year have come with seven or more yards to gain. And it's just not a sustainable way to run your offense. But if you're leaving yourself that much on third down consistently, and then you're trying to go for it on fourth down as many times as they have, I think they're tied for fifth most in the country at this point. They've gone for it 16 times on fourth down. And you're just you're you're not going to be a successful offense if you're consistently trying to play in those high leverage situations of third and long or fourth down. It's just not going to work out. And we have we've seen it play out that way. TCU's converting 43% of the time on third down and just barely 56% of the time on fourth down. And they're leaving so many points on the board because it's happening once they've already marched down the field for the majority of the time. And it's just not a sustainable way to run an offense. Yeah, I mean, you're sitting here watching West Virginia literally go 90 minutes of real time between completing a pass, and yet TCU is the one that can't move the ball. Mm -hmm. Um, They only had one red zone opportunity even on Saturday night, which is kind of amazing stat. And it's like you said, it's because they they are putting themselves in bad positions. They're getting behind the the chains. And you mentioned the pre-snap penalties. This is this team has made some inexcusably bad pre-snap penalties. Things coming out of timeouts, um, the mm-hmm. false starts. Like, oh, it, it's I'm I'm having flashbacks um, to he who shall not be named from a few years ago of like every like two false starts a game. Um, mm. It's it's getting it's getting a little bit a little bit rough um, out there. So all of those little things that that you know you can say I, I see a lot of well it's early well it's going to take time. You're in week five. You're out of, yeah. you're out of, it's early. Um, those yeah. are things that need to be cleaned up by the time you get to week two and three. That's why you play in nickels, mm-hmm. you know, early in the season. Um, and, and it's, it's too late to, to say it's, it's still early. Um, you're at the halfway point of the season on Saturday at Ames place. You haven't won since 2015. And um, TCU is, is really in danger of putting themselves in a, you know, the barely qualified bowl at this point, if they don't figure out some of these things. And I, I know it's, we're only five games in, but at the same time, we're five games in to yep. a twelve-game season, and yeah. um, you uh, you don't have to look too far ahead to say that that TC is running out of out of chances to kind of make a statement here and get themselves squared up if they want to play in something um, with the bull name that we've all heard of before, or just playing a bull at all. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I mean so so uh, looking at defense that they're facing in the upcoming weeks, so defensive. Um, EPA is a stat, right? Expected points added. We've talked about it up before on the show. From an offensive perspective, it exists as a defensive stat too. Colorado's 117th. Houston's 111th. SMU's 38th. So pretty good. Okay. West Virginia's 77th. Okay. Jeez. So those are the teams that they've played. Now they're going to face Iowa State, who's 76th. BYU, who's 47th. K 
Kansas State, who's 74th. Texas, who's 8th. Baylor, who's 126th. Yeah. And Oklahoma, who's 10th. So five uh, of the remaining six teams on their schedule have a better defensive EPA than any of the teams they've faced to this point. And so the, the road doesn't get any easier for TCU's offense. And you've got a night game, like you said, in Ames coming up where they just got absolutely boat raced by Oklahoma. Yeah. And they're busting um, out their, their Jack Tri special uniform. So there's going to be oh, some good. extra juice around that one. Yeah. And Can't so you wait just, to talk you to just, Levi this week. <laughs> you talk to Levi this week. I am on Wednesday. Yeah. Yeah. He but, texted uh, me this morning and he was like, what even is TCU? And I won't. Just yeah. shrug emoji at this point That's because what who knows? I responded. Yeah. Uh, let's before we pivot off of this game because I think we've yeah. we've covered it pretty well at this point. The defense looked okay, yeah. right? The like they they only allowed three completed passes in the first half. A lot of that had to do with Garrett Green, um, but they only allowed three completed passes in the first half. They held West Virginia to twenty four points. Um, but at the same time, we still saw some of the same challenges, just like we saw with the offense. It just didn't bear out so far as, you know, oh, well, the defense really cost them because of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And so while the, we can talk about, oh, yeah, they looked fine, what happens when they face more competent offenses than what West Virginia has to offer? Well, and, and know. you know, they, when you say they look fine, they still were able to generate little to no pressure on Garrett Green. Um, no sacks. He was only hit once. He was only hurried twice. Um, so they just, they really let him. And again, this is a quarterback who is not known for his throwing ability and could mm-hmm. not complete a pass for legitimately 90 actual minutes of time. Like there were 90 minutes of actual time between completed balls. Um, but they <laughs> let him in the second half. He just picked him apart. Yeah. Like he was really, really good. And it wasn't because he was making big plays. It was just like, he had time to sit back and make his reads, go through his progressions, which is what, you know, Chandler did not have time to do and, and just make the plays that he needed to make. He didn't try to do more. He just made the plays that needed to make. Um, And, and this TCU pass rush was, was once again, non-existent. Like they were fine. They weren't bad, mm-hmm. but, but they weren't against one of the worst passing quarterbacks they've seen. They just never made things overly difficult on him. Um, he did a great job running the ball in the first half, and he did a great job throwing the ball in the second half. And we were just kind of waiting to see which of those TCU defenders was going to step up and, and make that that kind of game-changing, momentum-swinging play. And it's a lot to ask for them to have to do that, but it never happened. Um, mm-hmm. And and now you're looking, you know, of of – is good enough going to be enough or now does this TCU defense really need to step up and try to carry this team as the offense continues to try to figure things out? A, a, a fun stat. We've talked a lot about advanced stats already tonight. A very raw stat for you, Melissa. <laughs> West Virginia's played four games against Division One opponents this year. They scored 15 points against Penn State. They scored 17 points against Pitt. They scored 20 points against Texas Tech and 24 against TCU was the most points they've scored against a division one opponent this year. And I will say that at moments in the second half, it looked like the defense was pretty gassed and that's going to happen when your offense only gains one total yeah. yard in a quarter. Uh, but still, like you said, we, if it generally, it feels a little bit like this team is lacking in identity this yeah. year, which is odd to say coming off of a year where the identity was so clear 
so abundantly clear. But at the same time, I guess that's what happens when you lose so many veteran leaders and so many veteran producers on, on both sides of the ball. Well, and now the defense is going to be down to another guy for the foreseeable future. Johnny Hodges posted a picture of himself after surgery yep. today. So, and Chad Banks, you know, had another nice game, mm-hmm. um, did a lot of things well. I uh, was really productive, but, uh, you know, Johnny, you know, as a leader in the locker room and on the field is going to be sorely missed. Um, you know, Shad's production, it was, was really solid, but um, you take another big voice out of that room for a group that, like you said, is lacking identity, and that's not going to be a good thing for TCU. No, nine tackles for Shad, tied for the team lead in solo tackles with six. A good night. Yeah. Provides some hit, speed, but... Him and Jamoy Hodge, I, I thought, did some mm-hmm. things really well. Um, Jamoy, you know, had had a couple of, of big stops and stuffs, but, yeah. but again, you know, and, and it's like said, like 24 points is the most points that he, that. West Virginia has scored this year. A lot of that they played on short fields. You know, we talked about that before we started recording of how bad of a position TCU's defense was put in. Mm-hmm. But you would still think kind of knowing exactly what West Virginia is and isn't, um, you'd like to see them be able to kind of jump some of those reads a little bit and, and make those yeah. kind of momentum swinging plays. Not that that there's a lot of confidence that the offense would have done much with it. Um, I think we also need to talk about special teams before we leave this one. Yeah. Um, let me do it. Let me do a read real quick and then okay. we'll, we'll get yeah, into special teams. Cause I do want to, I do want to mention our sponsors. Hell's half acre stadium goods is one of our, our favorite brands, favorite groups uh, that we get to work with. They were created with Horn Frog fans in mind and each item sold makes a direct impact on TCU student athletes. You can check out all of their gear from polos to shirts to headwear to home goods at hell's half Get everything that you need for your TCU games at healthhalfacresg.com. Buy lots of Health Half Acre Stadium goods so we can put some of that money towards NIL for offensive line and defensive line transfers in the portal. What? Yeah, this has been this has been a Health Half Acre Stadium goods product advertisement read. Buy their football shirt as well, Um, and buy the Health Half Locker. It's actually pretty tasty and also goes towards Flying T Club. So there's that. Those are all good things. All right, Melissa, special teams. Let's, we got it. We got to let's we, back yep. off of Griffin Kell for a second. Yep. Let's I, back I off of Griffin both, Kell and Jordy Sandy for a second. Here. Yeah. There are two people that I think TCU misses more than we could have anticipated. The first mm-hmm. is Steve Avila. Yep. And the second is Darius Davis. Yep. Because whatever's happening in the punt return game right now simply is not working. It's not it. It is bad. Um, Look, I think we all know what, like how highly recruited JoJo Earl was coming out of high school, how badly TCU fans wanted him. Um, he has been in, you know, he's had to deal with some injuries. He's he's had a lot going on. Um, I know, you know, Sonny Dykes was effusive in his praise for him at Big 12 Media Days, um, but they really need to look at that position. It's not working. So, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know why, I don't know if, if they're seeing something in practice and it's not translating to games. I don't know if there's still some lingering injury issues that this is a kid that's not hundred um, percent, but it has become a real liability for TCU uh, in the punt return game. And something needs to change back there. The ball touches the ground way too much. Yep. And we've talked about that in past weeks too. You know, Darius was excellent at getting to the football. And even if it was a fair catch, the ball wasn't going to hit the ground and roll. Right. Like he was going to cut it off right there. Multiple times this year, we've seen the ball hit the ground and roll and get 15, 20, 25 extra yards of field position. 
for TCU's opponent. Um, you had a muffed punt, two botched punts on uh, Saturday night, one that kind of bounced off of JoJo Earl's shoulder, one that he just dropped. Um, and it's a situation where when your offense is already struggling to consistently gain yards, especially in third down situations, when they're struggling to get the yards necessary on first and second down to set themselves up for future success on the drive, every yard that you just concede in special teams is going to come back to haunt you. Because if TCU is starting that drive on their own 32 instead of their own 17, the play calling probably looks a little bit different. Right, what they set out to do on that drive probably looks a little a little bit different, um, and it's just it, it's it's a compounding of issues at this point that at least on Saturday night were too much for TCU to overcome. All of that, all of this to say too, though, Melissa, and I don't know if you have another special teams point you want to make. I'll, I'll shut the hell up in a second. Um, TCU could very well still be five and zero this year, and if they were, they'd probably yeah. be ranked in the top ten at this point. Yeah. Yeah, because what a they, they the rest of college football has they been. have they have had the ball in the final moments of the Colorado game and of this game against West Virginia where all they had to do was kick a field goal to force overtime or score a touchdown to win it and they couldn't do it but, that, but that's a but did I and watching that game there was never a point on either of those final two drives like I was, yeah. I was with my parents, I was watching that game and, and my dad who doesn't know and my mom who know nothing about football really. And they were like, Oh, but you could still win. I was like, we're not going to win this game. Like there was nothing, there's nothing about this team that inspires the confidence that that big play is going to come when you need it. And, and I guess maybe that was kind of PTSD from the Colorado game, but Last year, it never felt like TCU was out of it. Like, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I was during the Oklahoma State game. Everybody was at that game except for Parker and I. And Parker and I like FaceTimed each other at half of like, hey, like we're gonna like we're gonna come back and win this game, right? Mm-hmm. And both were like, yeah, we're gonna come back and win this game. Like there was no there was no lack of confidence. But in watching that Colorado game and in watching that West Virginia game. I, I, I thought we were going to throw it at, at just a just a gut punch interception. I did not see back to back blocked field goals um, in right. my tarot cards, but uh, but no, but like it, it didn't. I did not after watching that team play for the whole second half. I did not feel confident that we were going to be able to get that final drive to win. Um, one last button on the punt return. Um, Jojo Earl has had six punt returns for thirty nine yards. He got thirty of those yards in one. And the other five punt returns have been for nine total yards. Um, that is, that is, and and like that doesn't even account for, like you said, kind of the buffs, the misses, the rolling, and then just not having a real feel mm-hmm. for being able to pick up positive yardage um, in that area. So yeah, um, yeah, the, the season, the season is not over. No, of course um, not. It's, I mean, you still got seven football games left. Yeah. Like, there's so much football left to be played. And, but and this team is, like you said two plays away from being five and zero and ranked in the top 10. But mm-hmm. I think that the, the issues that have come to roost here and that have risen up, that are the things that we, we thought we believed in the preseason, but we were told they weren't going to be a problem have, have truly kind of come through to be a problem mm-hmm. um, that replacing the amount of guys that, that had to be replaced have not only impacted TC's play on the field, but 
um, just their their overall chemistry as a team. Um, and this is this is a this is not a reload; it's a rebuild. And there are going to be a lot more games like Saturday night than there are like the Houston game. But see, there's also this, and this is just the eternal optimist in me. There's still like you still can build off of what you saw, especially on offense in the Houston game. Like it was yeah. a terrible defense. Houston has a terrible defense. But Chandler was also incredibly accurate yeah. in that game. He hit guys in small windows multiple times in key situations that extended drives. He did a great job with his legs, right? The, so, so, but even, when you can do that when you're sitting back in a clean pocket. Yes, you can. And uh, right there, they're missing Brandon Coleman at left guard. And, and there were some breakdowns on the right side of the offensive line as well on Saturday night. So yes, I, there's, there's a ton that has to get cleaned up in order for this thing to make some progress. My, my opinion of it is that these aren't things that are necessarily, Oh, we have to wait until the off season to fix these things. These are things that are repairable mid season, but it's going to take a hell of a coaching job from Kendall Bryles to get a lot of it done. And from the rest of the offensive staff and from Sonny Dykes as well, these are these, it's just like what Sonny said after the game on Saturday, we have to do a better job with coaching and preparation. And that has to start this week. Yeah. And, and that's going to be the real the real key is is now you go to to Ames place you've struggled to win against another you know good defense comparable defense to what uh, West Virginia has even though they're probably a little bit less depth but um, you've you've got to be able to bounce back and win this game if TCU doesn't win in Ames then I think you can kind of start saying like this it, yeah. it's going to be a battle the rest of the way now you're looking almost to play spoiler because said the schedule does not get easier by any stretch of the imagination. So we're going to see what the staff is made of. We're going to see um, what the adjustments look mm-hmm. like um, because you're, you're in your stretch now of we're going to play teams with the pulse here for the rest of the season. And they've got to be able to adjust. They've got to be able to adjust between games. They've got to be able to adjust mid game. Um, and that's going to be the difference between this being a team fighting for six and six or seven and five versus a team that could still hit that eight, nine win mark. If, if they're able to kind of pull things together. So it's not over, but I, I think mm-hmm. I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to be chicken little, the sky is falling, but I also definitely kind of feel like it's time to recalibrate a little bit yeah. of expectations for this team um, and look at more of, of, you know, what, what are the goals? What are the goals now? Because you're, you're one loss away from probably being out of the race to make it to the big 12 championship game. And you're two losses away from, from it being a fight to get eligible for a bowl. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, you look at some of the teams that are still left on the schedule, TCU's a, a six and a half point favorite against Iowa State going in. Yeah, but that Ames. means nothing. Apparently, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Bad thing. Right? Yeah. yeah. Just don't. D- please, Vegas. Please make TCU don't, an underdog. Don't um, bet on TCU. Please do not bet on TCU. Hey, they covered against TCU SMU in Houston. That's all I'm gonna say. Oh, they're um, three and two against the spread, y'all. Three and two against the spread. Um, just not in the conventional way that we expected. Yeah. Uh, but but look, the, Iowa State is a winnable football game. BYU is a winnable football game. I don't know what the hell Kansas State is at this point. Yeah, Texas looks legit, like actually legit. Baylor. I don't is, care what Texas Tech looks like Thursday night in Lubbock is right. always going to scare the crap Baylor, out of me. Baylor coming to Fort Worth with the the challenges that they've had. You feel you had to feel pretty good about that, but who knows where Until they are Saturday. in a month? Yeah. Who knows where they yeah. are in a month? Right. Texas Tech chaos abounds on Thursday nights in Lubbock, and then you close at Oklahoma. That lo- quietly, very quietly, 
top three in the country in defensive points allowed, top three in the country in points scored per game. Yeah. Now they they played a terrible schedule, but they played SMU, Melissa. <laughs> And yeah, and they went what they 20, 20 to eight against SMU or twenty one to something. Twenty eight right? to eleven. Okay, okay. My God. yeah, yeah. Their so, margin of victory against but, SMU was the same as TCU's. Yeah. But this is this is very this is an Oklahoma team that looks light years ahead of where it was a season ago for sure. It looks like yeah, it looks like their head coach finally got his hands on that defense a little bit yeah. and is molding yeah. it into what he had he had been running at Clemson for the last decade and a half. So yeah, yeah, they look like a beast and you know, Bray Ormark staring down the barrel of a Texas Oklahoma yep. Big 12 championship in their last season yep. in the conference. And that's just really mm, terrible. Just tough scenes all the way around. Really, really terrible. Melissa, you are rocking a t-shirt that I know is incredibly comfortable right now because it comes from the good brand Home Field Apparel. Why don't you tell me a little bit more about HA? Listen, there, you know, we love our sponsors and we've loved Home Field Apparel long before they were a part of the Frogs Insider podcast. Um, I have drawers full of Home Field Apparel and multiple sizes and pretty much anything that they make. They put a TCU logo on. I will have purchased, including this lovely football shirt that I absolutely love with the little diamond uh uh, markings here. Home Field Apparel makes some of the most comfortable sweatshirts, joggers, t-shirts, bomber jackets, um, and pretty much everything you could ever want for your TCU wardrobe. Um, and let me tell you, I have them all. So I can say that with true honesty. And the really cool thing with Home Field Apparel is one of our sponsors, they're going to give you 15% off your first purchase, whether you're buying TCU gear or any other gear that you could possibly have your heart set on for any other school that they create stuff for. Some of the coolest throwbacks. I mean, we've we've got stuff from Tulane. Um, I know you've got your big, big sky hoodie that you're rocking on Love multiple it. occasions. Save 50% off of that, 10% off of every subsequent purchase with the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5. Um, if you have not already bought some home field apparel, please buy it now. Um, and like I will say, I know a lot of people have had, there have been some shipping delays. Um, home field is a small business uh, serving a large, large swath of the country and with over, well over, I think approaching a hundred schools or something that they've got mm -hmm. stuff for. Um, hang tight with their shipping delays. I promise you it will be worth it. Get your hoodies, your crewnecks, your joggers ordered now so that when fall weather ever hits for um, the South and the Midwest, you will be able to enjoy it then. I will say it's getting, it's getting a little chilly here in Northern California. So Risk. that bomber, the bomber jacket is coming out this week. I think it might, it might just might happen. So, well, it's supposed to be down into the fifties in the mornings here next week. So okay. delightful big sky hoodie on my morning walk. Maybe so might be happening. You might never know. Got to go on a Frogs. morning walk for it to happen, but we'll see. Yeah, but, but it could frogs in 15 <laughs> is the code 15% off of your first purchase, 10% off every subsequent purchase. All right, Melissa, let's run around the Big 12 really quickly to wrap up the podcast here this evening. First and foremost, Baylor 36, Central Florida 35. Baylor was losing this game 35-7 to at one point, and our group text absolutely exploded on Central Florida's last drive around one of the craziest fourth-down conversions I've ever seen. Shout-out to Timmy McClain for creating some absolutely chaotic magic on a drive that ultimately ended with a missed field goal to lose the football game. Yeah. Um, Timmy McLean is not great as a quarterback, but he sure is fun to watch as a like chaotic evil agent um, in the backfield. So uh, UCF jumps out to that huge lead. Uh, Blake Shapin's return um, to the, to the backfield for Baylor took him the first half to kind of get things rolling, but 
29 unanswered, I believe. And then Kimmy McLean makes one of the most ridiculous fourth down conversions. Um, if you haven't seen it, just type that into your old Twitter search bar. It was insane. Um, but all for not is Baylor's defense does get a stop. I, like to be the scariest thing you can do with Baylor's give them a little bit of belief because I still don't think they're very good, but that's a, that's a program that's really good rallying around something. And they are going to play spoiler on more than one occasion this year. They weren't able to do it against Texas. Um, I don't know how much often I think they've got, is it butt bowl this weekend? I think it's, I think it might be the butt bowl this weekend. So, it is butt bowl uh, this weekend. Yes. Yeah. And, and as was going around Twitter that that game will be actual ass, but um, I, the, the team that wins the team that loses Baylor, Texas tech this weekend is pretty much down to begging for a bowl game status. Um, but the team that wins, could truly cause some problems for other teams in the Big 12 this year. Do you want to hear the rest of Baylor's schedule? Oh, yes, so badly. Texas Tech at home, butt bowl. Bye week at Cincinnati, home against Iowa State, home against Houston, oh, at God. Kansas State, at TCU, home against West Virginia. They That's a they could that's easily easy. get to bowl eligibility. That's easily get to easy... bowl eligibility there. Yeah, that that's that's about as soft a, a ride home as you can get. Mm-hmm. What's what's te- give me tech schedule just for giggles. Uh, well, here here's Central Florida first. They have to go okay. to Kansas, to Oklahoma, then they're home against West Virginia, to Cincinnati, home against Oklahoma State, at Texas Tech, home against Houston. Much more challenging schedule yeah. in my opinion, especially in the next couple of weeks. They can um, still get some wins there, but it's going to be tough. And, and I don't mm-hmm. know what the status of John Rice Plumley is for them going forward, but they I desperately need him back. They do need him back. Speaking of Texas Tech, though, they win 49-28 to 28 over Houston and Lubbock. Donovan Smith looked awesome the in the first half. half of this football game for Houston. They looked unstoppable for their first few drives, and then wheels yeah. kind of fell off the wagon, and Dana Holgerson ends up losing by three touchdowns, um, and it's now 0-2 in Big 12 play. It was. that was I watched quite a bit of that game. Um, there was not a punt for so long. Mm-hmm. There was not a punt for, and then everything just went to hell for Houston and I almost felt bad for them. But uh, yeah, that's a, uh, I don't know. Like Texas tech is not, did they got way too much effusive praise of the off season. I think we're seeing that they're probably not a fully formed entity at this point, but uh, Joey gets those boys rolling. Who knows what can happen. And they got the butt bowl this week. We'll see who comes out on top there. This was uh, Texas tech's first win against an FBS opponent this season. Oh, just should be noted. Their only other okay. win was against Tarleton State. So good to know. Good to know. Hey, they're on the board, and that's all that they're matters. Meanwhile, Houston has a bye week before they host West Virginia. Things could get really ugly for the Cougars this year. Yeah. As Dana Holgerson's seat heats up. BYU 35 over Cincinnati 27 on Friday night. BYU is a weird team because it seems like no matter what happens, they're scoring 30 something points and they're giving up 20 to 30 something points. And it doesn't matter who they're playing, whether it's Arkansas, whether it's Cincinnati opponent, be damned. This is the game plan for BYU. Yeah. And and that's going to be, you know, that's TCU's homecoming game here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be an interesting one. 2.30 on ESPN. Yeah. Never. I think, I think I'm coming in for that one. It's it's looking like a plan. So uh, yeah, this Big Twelve, man. I tell you, it's it's going to be it's it's you know Texas pulled away from Kansas there late in the second half without Jalen Daniels. Said Oklahoma had a pretty complete performance against Iowa State. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's 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 going to be a bumpy ride here the way home for TCU. I think it's I gonna, think so too. 
not going to be a lot of easy ones. Not going to be a lot of, I think we're all going to need some more antacids. Yeah. BYU has a bye week this week too. So they got two weeks to prepare Ooh. for the frogs while TCU has to go to Iowa state. Meanwhile, Cincinnati's got a bye week before they host Iowa state in two weeks. Next up on the schedule, Texas 40, Kansas 14, Jalen Daniels did not play in this game, so Kansas relied on Jason Bean, who had them kind of cooking a little bit in the yeah. first half. They were down, I believe, 21 to 14 at one point, and then Texas stopped playing with its food and just ran over the Jayhawks. Texas's second half statistics on offense are absolutely ungodly. Mm-hmm. You talk about making halftime adjustments. Um, what what they're doing in the second, because they've, they've kind of played with their food in the first half against just about every team they've played. Um, but what they've done in the second half, they've absolutely dominated. I don't yeah. have the splits in front of me, but it is a marked difference. That Red River rivalry game on Saturday is going mm-hmm. to be fascinating. I think Texas wins and wins big, but it's going to be a fascinating. I think the first half yeah. will be really close. And I, think I think it's going to be a fun away. football game. Yeah, they 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 face Oklahoma in the Red River shootout. We we can still call it a shootout. That's okay. Okay. And there might be some fireworks that are appropriate for that name this Very year. True. Um, because Oklahoma, like you said, is markedly improved. Texas improves to five and zero on the season. They haven't lost or they haven't won a football game by less than ten points this year. Every everyone's been by double digits. Yeah. So that's not not impressive, right? And I've nope. said for uh, for years now with Texas, I got to see it to believe it, and I'm starting Start to become to a it. believer. Yeah, starting to become a believer. Um, meanwhile, Kansas, uh, their road doesn't get much easier because they host a very embattled central Florida before traveling to Oklahoma state the next two weeks. So we got to see if Jalen Daniels gets back or if things are going to take a turn for the worst for the Jayhawks. Meanwhile, the last game from the big 12 this week, Oklahoma 50, Iowa state 20, all of which 20 points came in the first half, by the way, for Iowa state. This was a relatively close game at halftime before Oklahoma just beat the brakes off of them in the second half. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. Iowa State, man. So I don't sorry. know what's going to, I don't know what TCU's getting into on Saturday. I just, I, I have no idea. It, it is, there is not a team right now outside of maybe TCU that's harder to get a beat on than Iowa State. Look, I'll tell you this. I went up there two years ago for that game where Brees Hall ran for like 652 yards yeah. or whatever it was. And the best part of my day was asking Iowa State fans why Matt Campbell couldn't beat Iowa. Yep. I mean, he's one in six now. So at least he got the one dub. Never been a yep. bigger bag fumble on the planet than yeah. Matt Campbell staying at Iowa State all these years. Never been a bigger yeah. bag fumble. So, like, Lance Leopold has to go if Michigan State calls, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's got to go. Yeah. Don't, don't do it. Don't do what Campbell did. And then, you know what you do? Jalen Daniels, conspiracy theory time. Oh, you're bringing this one out? Sits the rest of the year. Yep. Redshirt year. Medical redshirt, whatever. Transfer portal. Michigan State starting quarterback next year, Jalen Daniels. Yeah, you're pulling this one out. This 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 got brought up at the group text as well. Jalen Daniels would thrive in the Big Ten. He would destroy the Big Twelve. Thrive in the Big Actually, Ten. Actually, I think that what we've seen is is great quarterbacks lead the Big Ten and become better, aka Michael Phoenix. AKA Joe Burrow. Well, Joe Burrow caught a big bag himself and then forgot how to play football, apparently, but that's a whole other podcast. He's hurt. He's hurt. My fantasy team's fine. Don't worry about also, it. Very, <laughs> Don't very bad. Don't worry about it. 
Um, hey, oh. before we knock out of here, one last cool note. Uh, TCU women's basketball is in pretty elite company here. There are only four other schools in the country that can say what TCU basketball can say. And that is that they have an active WNBA player on the bench with them as uh, for Mark Campbell's former player at Oregon, uh, current Chicago sky forward, Ruthie Hebert has joined the coaching staff at TCU. Um, only uh, Vanderbilt, Oregon, Minnesota, and Penn state have a current active WNBA player sitting on their bench. That's pretty stinking cool. Um, we are really excited about TCU men's basketball. We've talked about them quite yes. a bit. I am quietly getting really fired up to watch TCU women's basketball play this year because that is a complete total roster overhaul. That is a completely and total new system. I think this team's going to be pretty dang good this fall. I'm excited about it. You know, we got a chance to talk to Mark Campbell at the presser last week. Uh, very straightforward dude. You can go and watch that press conference on the Frogs Insider YouTube channel, by the way like and subscribe and um, we'll have more women's basketball content down the road. Cause I do, I do agree. I think they're going to be pretty good. And another cool note, TCU soccer has already broken the 10,000 yeah. attendance mark this year, that stadium. I haven't gotten out to a game yet this year. I need to, because they're playing well. They're three and one in big 12 play right now. They're near the top of the top of the table. Um, every time I got to a game last year, the stadium was absolutely packed. And it's yeah, such a it's cool a environment. It's a wonderful family environment for those of you that have kids that want to go to something that doesn't maybe last as long as a football game, uh, but it's still wildly entertaining and very fun. Um, TC women's soccer is where it's at for that. Yeah, it, it is. It is a, they're a fun program. They're a very, very good program. That mm -hmm. atmosphere is elite. Um, it's a little bit less caustic maybe than a football stadium as well. Yep. Um, so it's a little bit more family friendly um, and those girls are incredible role, role models for the kids um, just on and off the field. And if you're looking for an indoor version, go to TC women's volleyball because they're yeah. doing it again this year too. They just took back-to-back yeah. -back series from uh, Texas tech and they're undefeated in big 12 play right now. Yeah. It's good. It's you a good time to, to be a horn frog as per usual. You love to see it. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of Frogs Insider. Please, please, please leave us a rating or a review wherever you get your podcasts. We will catch you as we always do during the season on Thursday for TCU preview for their upcoming game against Iowa State. Melissa's going to sit down with Levi Stevenson. Unhinged, gonna, Levi. Unhinged, Stevenson. Levi. This might be a two-hour episode, folks. Give me your mailbag questions, and we're going to be talking to Levi. It's going to be chaos. But until then, we'll see you next time. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.